What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. Welcome to the Gloria Purvis podcast, where we talk about the issues in the Catholic Church and in society that matter to you and to me, and I'm glad you're here to have that conversation with me. My guest today is Sister Anne Victory. Sister Anne is a board member at U.S. Catholic Sisters Against Human Trafficking, a collaborative faith-based national network that offers education, supports access to survivor services, and engages in advocacy to eradicate modern-day slavery. And I wanted to talk with Sister because of the World Cup and the Super Bowl coming up in February so that we could understand that human trafficking happens around these major events. What are usually big celebrations for us comes with a lot of suffering for others, and we need to know about it. We need to know who is doing the trafficking. But we also don't want to stay paralyzed when we see the extent of this evil, how pervasive it is, how anybody could be involved. We don't want to get paralyzed and hopeless. And so on this podcast, we want to give a voice to people on the margins, people who work with people on the margins, and how we can help people on the margins. And talking with Sister Ann Victory about human trafficking, I think, does just that. So, you know, as I was thinking about this, perhaps to some people it's not really clear why the church would be involved in this work. We have to recognize that human trafficking is a debasement, is a perversion of human relationships, and we want to establish right relationships to promote the common good. We have a belief in the inherent dignity of every human person, and we have a commitment to those who are poor and vulnerable. And we also want to defend the basic rights of workers for those people who their labor is being stolen from them and they're not being paid just wages. And also, we have to remember solidarity. We live in solidarity with one another. And so from that, we are willing to enter into another person's not only joys, but also their sorrows and sufferings. And another reason I wanted to talk to Sister is although we ourselves may not be directly involved in the kind of work that she does, she gives us an opportunity to go through our own self-assessment to see how our lifestyle maintains human trafficking. And it challenges us to consider how we might change even in the way in which we live so that people will not be caught in the snares of human trafficking to support our lifestyle. The Gloria Purvis Podcast is a production of America Media, where real, honest conversations are happening on the most important issues at the intersection of the church and the world. For example, we just published an exclusive interview with Pope Francis, the first of its kind by any American media outlet, secular or Catholic, and that's unique. And it's something you definitely need to read because we asked the Holy Father the kind of questions people want to know, the kind of questions people want answers to. We asked him about women's ordination. We asked him about racism in the United States. We asked him about abortion and what should the bishops be doing. We also asked him about China and Ukraine. We asked him about 
issues that people are concerned about. We asked about tough topics and the Holy Father did not disappoint. The link to that exclusive interview with Pope Francis is in the show notes. So if these interviews and conversations are meaningful to you, please access them and support us by getting a digital subscription to America. How do you do that? Go to americamagazine.org slash subscribe and sign up today. The link is in the show notes. Stick around. My conversation with Sister Anne Victory is up next. Sister Anne Victory, welcome to the Gloria Purvis podcast. Well, thank you so much for having me. Thank you for joining us. And I'm very much interested in having this conversation with you on an issue I think that perhaps people aren't as aware of of what's going on. But before we get into the topic of trafficking, I'm really curious as to your background of how you discern to become a religious. Okay, well, I was just a kid back in 1962, so it's been 60 years, I guess. And I was graduating from high school, was very much influenced by the Sisters of the Humility of Mary who taught me. Mm. And I had experiences with other communities before that. But these sisters seemed to be very down to earth, very much themselves, and that attracted me. So I entered the community with a whole lot of others at the time. Mm-hmm. It doesn't happen that way right now. It's like ones and twos, maybe. And at the time, I was just sure I was going to teach theology and English. I was <laughs> positive that was what I would be doing. And then I got bronchitis in the novitiate and had to spend a lot of time with the nurses. Oh. So then when I was asked what I wanted to do, I said, well, I really want to become a nurse. And so... I did just that. I spent quite a few years in nursing as a clinician, as an educator of nurses, and then as an administrator. And my last position was vice president for mission at what is now Mercy Health. Then I was elected to leadership in my community for two terms. So I spent eight years in leadership. And afterwards, I didn't know what I was going to do. I was pretty nervous thinking about going back into nursing after eight years out of it, that that would be really requiring going back to school for a long time. And I thought, "Eh, maybe there's something else for me. So I was already involved with a local group that was working on human trafficking. It was a collaborative effort among the local religious communities in the Cleveland area. And we had what we called the collaborative to end human trafficking. And then the position became available to become the director of education. So I applied for it and I got it and spent 11 years doing that. And then I was reelected to leadership in 2021. So that's what I'm doing now, but I'm still a volunteer for the collaborative. So the issue is something that's very dear to my heart. And in the process of all of that, U.S. Catholic Sisters Against Human Trafficking was formed. And I was part of the founding of that as well. So it's been quite an adventure and quite a journey. You know, most people, when they think of religious sisters, they're thinking teachers, maybe hospital administrators, nurses. I bet a lot of people are surprised to hear that there's an organization of U.S. sisters that are working together to combat human trafficking. Yes. First of all, it's dangerous work. <laughs> You're dealing with things that are extremely dangerous. But yeah, why am I surprised that women religious would be the tip of the spear 
you know, in the U.S. fight against human trafficking. But for our listeners, could you help us understand what human trafficking is? What is it? Yes, I'm going to give you the definition that's used in the federal law, because to me, it's the most clear. Okay. It is recruitment, harboring, transportation, provision, or obtaining of a person for either commercial sex or for some sort of labor or services. And the methods that traffickers use are force, fraud, or coercion. And they may use all three. And if you're under the age of 18 and trafficked into the sex trafficking, we don't have to prove force, fraud, or coercion under the law. That child is automatically a victim of a crime because it is a crime. Yeah. But what we're talking about really here is modern slavery. Yes. You know, we say human trafficking, but really it's it's modern slavery. And is today's slavery, does it have a racial component? Is it race-based the way it was when slavery first started here in the U.S.? It's not necessarily race-based, but we know because of racism, that's a vulnerability for our black and brown brothers and sisters. They become mm-hmm. more vulnerable because of how our society has acted toward those who are not white. And that's a criminal thing in itself. So what are some of the facts around human trafficking in the United States? How prevalent is it? What are people saying? Well, in the United States, we don't have good numbers. Actually, nobody in the world has really good numbers. We talk about the numbers that the International Labor Organization has put forth as estimates. And they estimate that about 50 million people are being trafficked every year somewhere in the world for either labor or sex. And they also estimate that this is about a $150 billion a year business, so to speak. And they say right up front, these are probably low estimates. Yes. Because we don't have a good way to count. So let me just tell you this little story because it's coming back to me now as you're saying that number. Mm-hmm. One time I was flying someplace and the airlines bumped me up to first class. And I was sitting next to this gentleman who basically is a shipping magnate. And he was telling me about human trafficking. And he was a part of a task force to try to stop it. And they realized that sometimes they even put people in these containers and send them to other countries. I, I was just like, what? But he was telling me how profitable this business is that he has to get international police protection when he travels because his participation in this has cost other traffickers billions of dollars. So they want him dead. And I was like, what? Who who are these people? He says, very wealthy, very powerful people. Uh, He says, and it's, it's widespread. Yes. And so when you talk about this billions of dollars and realizing that it's all over the world Mm -hmm. and how profitable is, it sort of makes my head spin a little bit. Yes. I can hardly imagine, but it's happening. I, I know you were talking some more about, I didn't want to interrupt you, but go ahead with the additional facts and stats that you were sharing. Okay. In the United States, we don't have good numbers because we don't know who's reporting what to mm-hmm. whom, mm-hmm. and there isn't one system for doing that. The numbers that we do have come from the human trafficking hotline, the national line, and they do count the number of calls that they get, and they record them by state, by type of trafficking, by age of the person, by the other demographics in, in terms of gender or race, or if they can get that information, they do that. So it's very prevalent throughout 
every state. Ohio, where I live, is ranked number five in the nation because of the calls going in. Wow. The ones ahead of Ohio are Florida, Texas, California, and New York. Mm. And you'd expect those because they're bigger. Yeah. And so for a while, Ohio was number four. So part of it, I think, would be awareness to know to call. Well, that's, so that I was going to ask you, like, who calls this hotline? Is it people that see things are reported or people who are actually being trafficked? Call, who calls the hotline? Anybody can call. Okay. And it's both. People who are being trafficked do call. People who see something and don't know what to do about it call and find out what to do. What kinds of things might be a red flag that might say, you know what, that might be a sign that someone's being trafficked, that perhaps I should call in and report this, assuming somehow that alerts people to get some help to the location or to the person? What can I look for? There are lots of things to look for. One of them is people being very afraid and they don't seem to go together. They're with someone else. Yeah. Or the person that they're with always speaks for them, even though there's no reason for that. Someone who's a child and they have hotel card keys on them. Well, that's strange. Someone who doesn't have their own documents, someone else holds their documents for them. People that have a whole lot of tattoos. Now, this is a tough one because tattoos are popular. You know, yeah. Body art is very popular. But these tend to be ugly. They're dollar signs or they're barcodes or they're the words daddy or someone else's name. They're often the thigh or the shoulder or the neck, sometimes okay. inside the lip. Kids who are never in school, and they should be. You know, you're in the neighborhood and you see this kid always never in school. What's that about? If it doesn't feel right, it's okay to call. Okay. And our law enforcement officers prefer that we call and let them do the investigating because it's much too dangerous to try to do it yourself. And what? let's say I see something. What number? What's the number that we should call if we want to report something? The number is 888 888- Three seven three seven eight eight eight. So, as a regular phone number, it might be hard to remember. But if you remember it as eight 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 thirty seven thirty seven eight eight eight, you got it. <laughs> That's right. When we teach people that, it's easier for them. They put it in their phones, and they have it. But just know that they'd rather have you report it and save someone's life and be wrong. They don't care if you're wrong. They'll get in touch with the local law enforcement to have them investigate. So we'll put that number in the show notes so people can also have it someplace where they can see it and and remember it. So, you know, as we're talking about people who've been trafficked, I'm thinking about who traffics people? What are the profiles of traffickers? Well, it's sort of a mixed bag. It can actually be anyone who's out to make money in a way that they don't have to expend much energy at all. Mm. So sometimes it's familial. Sometimes parents will traffic their children, Mm. often because they're desperate to either just pay for the food on the table or they're supporting a drug habit Mm. or something like that that would make it even more difficult for them. Or it can be international crime syndicates that do this. So even parents doing this with, to their own children or yeah. family members doing it to other family members, wow, that's hard to get your head around. It can be women as well as men, because we often think of it being men. Right. But it can be women too, and often is. So wow. sometimes it's young kids 
who are part of a trafficking ring or part of the traffickers stable of women. And the young person will be taught to or forced to get her friends to join as well. So recruiting. And then she'll get lesser punishment. The force, fraud, and coercion piece is huge. And it's force is obvious. You know, that'll be rapes or beatings or some sort of violence that you can see. Right. Fraud is the false promises. You know, I can give you anything your mom can't give you. Come get a better life in America. Get a good education. Any of those promises that sound too good to be true, well, yeah, they often are too good to be true. And then coercion is the psychological games. If you don't do what I say, something very bad will happen to you or to someone that you love. And sometimes that's a bigger factor than if you're going to hurt me, that's one thing. But if you're going to hurt my little brothers, that's a whole nother thing. And I, I don't want that for them. So one of the things that I'm hearing as I'm considering how these traffickers get people, it sounds like people who are in need are vulnerable, but that's not always the case. I'd come across the story of Teresa Flores, who was from a very well-to-do family. Her father was an executive at, I believe, General Electric. Her mother was like the country club tennis-playing mom. Mm -hmm. She had siblings, had like a six-bedroom, six-bath house, you know, very well-to-do, and yet she was a victim of sex trafficking and was still living at home while that happened. And so I'm thinking of, in her situation, it was exactly what you were talking about, the um, I'll hurt your family, like what they did to her and they'll release these tapes and the kind of, you know, it'll destroy your family's reputation, blah, 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 all those horrible things. So even people listening say, oh, that could never happen to my child. That's not the case. But I'm also thinking about like the World Cup and these big sporting events. We have the Super Bowl coming up in January. Do these huge sporting events have any connection with trafficking? They tend to attract a lot of people. And those people, some of them, may be interested in having some extracurricular activities, so to speak. Mm. And that can be one of the things that happens. So we know that happens at the Super Bowl, but it also happens at the PGA tournament. It happens at Republican and Democratic conventions. Wow. Any big gathering can be an occasion for traffickers. So we talked a little bit about trafficker profiles. We talked a little bit about victim profiles. As we're talking about these big events, it's making me say, so who typically, what is an average John? What is their profile of an average John? That's what's hard because it could be just anybody. And it really could. Sometimes it's upstanding members of the community who are the purchasers. What? Judges, police officers, doctors, lawyers, teachers. I see it in the headlines all the time. Maybe because I'm aware of it, but I, I look for those kinds of headlines so that people can just begin to think, well, it's not just some sleazeball somewhere. Right. There's no one picture that can tell you, just like there's no one picture that can tell you who's the victim. The faces are all kinds of people. How do people become purchasers? Like, I would not even know where to go, you know what I mean, <laughs> to say I'm looking to purchase a human being for whatever. I, I, I wouldn't even know where to go. The internet, Craigslist, 
and there's one that was shut down, and I'm trying to think of the name of Backpage. It. Backpage. Yeah. Now, that was shut down because of trafficking. They just put ads? Yeah, so they post ads. And then it goes underground. You know, there are websites that called the dark web. And traffickers, if they want to purchase someone, they know how to do it. You know, what used to happen always on the street, yeah. and in some neighborhoods it still does, now it happens mostly online. What, in your experience, I know you volunteer, what in your experience has been the trajectory of rescuing people and prosecuting purchasers and traffickers, just from your own experience, what you've seen? Actually, it's a process. Now, if this is a child, it's a reportable crime. Mm -hmm. And so it has to be dealt with. Even if the parents or guardians are the trafficker, so to speak, it's reportable. So if I'm working in an emergency room and I sense something's wrong here and I think it's trafficking, I'm obliged to report because that's my job. If it's an adult, adults have a choice. They can choose whether or not they want to talk to law enforcement. And I have to respect their choice. Mm. So it becomes my job to educate them. So I'm concerned about you. I hope you're in a safe place. And I understand if you're uncomfortable right now, but I want you to know you could come back here. This is a safe place to come when you're ready, and we will help you get the resources that you need. If it's safe to give them phone numbers to call a local resources, then do that. Sometimes that's not safe either because they'll get beaten if it's found on them. That was what I was going to say. I know you say they have a choice, but they definitely are in uh, compromised situations, right? Right. It's different with an adult because they have that opportunity to say yes or no to talk to law enforcement. But to know that there is a place where they can come and be safe and get the help that they need because they're traumatized too. We'll be right back. Well, sister, how do you deal with this? I I mean, from a faith perspective, where is God in this? How do we keep the faith in the face of this kind of evil? I think one of the ways that I keep the faith is I've seen the difference since when we started 15 years ago working on this. And now people are a little more aware. What is the difference? Like, What was it like 15 years ago compared to now? People didn't even know the term. They had no idea what it was. If they did, they thought it happened somewhere else, like uh-huh. in Cambodia or in Thailand, but never here. Right, okay. And now they've become more aware. And now they're willing to at least begin to learn about what this crime is and what they can do about it. Even becoming educated about it is doing something. Becoming involved in, um, for labor trafficking, becoming involved in fair trade and understanding what fair trade is and how our purchases make a difference or how the stock we hold makes a difference. You can get after companies who are involved in the supply chain and some labor trafficking situations and say, I'm getting rid of that stock. So talk about that a little bit about the fair trade. What does that mean, fair trade? It means that those who are doing the work for whatever the product is are paid a just wage, and they are not being forced to do what they do. How could I find out if the things that I'm buying, that they're using forced labor or that it's fair trade? Are there ways we could find out? Yes. uh, Companies have a list, and you can search for whatever the companies you're 
say you have a favorite product and you want to know where they get their product and how they make it and who makes it, you can look that up. If you're an investor, investing in the social responsible companies Mm -hmm. is a good way to do that. There's a little website, and this is a challenge. It's called slaveryfootprint.org. Now, it's an intriguing little thing because on there, there's a lifestyle quiz. So, And they keep you entertained as they ask the questions because they use pictures. So what kind of house you live in? What kind of a car do you drive? What's in your closet, your cupboards, mm-hmm. your refrigerator, electronics in your home, sporting goods in your home? After you answer all the questions, you get a number. And that number is how many slaves work for you oh my to maintain your current lifestyle. Oh, my goodness. Oh. It's very challenging. Yeah. You never forget it. I bet, yeah. And then it goes on to tell you what kinds of changes you could make to get that number down a bit. Oh, good. So yeah. it's a helpful one. So it's slaveryfootprint.org. Well, Pope Benedict and Pope Francis have both said every purchase is a moral decision. Yes, it is. So the more we know, the more that we can know, we can make better decisions about how we allocate our money. Exactly. Because we certainly don't want to support this evil. We don't want to support that. I think the thing is to, I bet people probably are afraid, like, well, what might I have to give up? You know what I mean? Well, yeah. But instead of looking at it that way, why don't we think about who am I helping free here? Mm -hmm. Who am I helping get some semblance of justice? Think about the good that you're doing. Right. Exactly. I can't even think about purchasing a cheap t-shirt because it's cute. Right. If I think of a little kid who had to make that being paid two cents a day and I paid $10 for that shirt, it's not expensive for me, but what's that about? You know, how do we abuse people like that and tolerate that abuse? Yeah. Yeah. It's just horrific. So I've seen a big growth in people being interested in this. Mm -hmm. The support that we have across the nation right now with U.S. Catholic Sisters Against Human Trafficking and across the world with the international networks that are also working on this gives me a lot of hope. Well, that's wonderful to hear. It gives you hope because I'm just like, wow, this is heavy. And I keep thinking, where is God in this? Yeah. Where do you think God is in this, sister? God is with every single person who's being victimized in this way. And God is with those who are trying to do the right thing here. And God wants to change the hearts of those who are doing the evil part, too. Yes, yes. We have an awesome God, because I'm telling you, that's how you know God. I am not God, because some people be dead. I understand. I'm not either. I can get pretty upset about things. (laughs) Yeah. Where can people find out more about your work? with the Sisters Against Human Trafficking. Where can they find you? The website for U.S. Catholic Sisters Against Human Trafficking is sistersagainsttrafficking.org. Are there any stories or an anecdote, anything that you can tell us about someone that, I guess, has come into contact with the work of the Sisters Against Human Trafficking, someone that's been helped, or is there anything you could share with us? Yes, there's a young woman that I've worked with in the Cleveland area, She was addicted, and because of her addiction, she got trapped into trafficking because she needed a place to stay. And she didn't realize that the people whose home this was expected the money to come to them. They'll give her the drugs, but she had to earn the money, and she had to do it by sex trafficking. 
Mm. So she was trapped in it for a number of years until she realized this was what was going on. And someone reached out to her and was able to help her see that there's another way. And in fact, it was a judge because she was arrested for prostitution. She was put in jail. And the judge had a program that was dealing with people who were trafficked. She had a, a docket just for those who were being trafficked. And her program was such that those in it had to follow the rules. Mm. So they had a curfew. They had to be working on their life skills. They had to be either going to school or developing job skills that they could use into the future so that they didn't fall back into it. So it's Mm. set up in our city, but it's set up in other cities as well, that judges are now stepping up and having a docket where they can help people who are arrested for prostitution or for drug use because they need another way out. What more could we do besides those things, sister? Uh, We can always pray for the victims, the survivors, the persons who are doing this criminal work so that they can get out of it. And for those who are working to end human trafficking, we can advocate for better enforcement of our laws and better laws in some cases. We can certainly help promote the government's interaction with those who are being trafficked. Do a better job, say, in the supply chain so that we're not purchasing items from countries that are abusing their people. The factors are huge and very complicated. So paying attention is really important, and it's hard to pay attention to so many big issues, but everybody can do a little bit. Yeah. That's the one thing I think everybody could do a little bit. Mm-hmm. If we pay attention to our fellow human being right in front of us, yes, I think we could be a part of changing things. Right. And we have to stick with it. It's not an easy fix. So it's easy to get discouraged, but we have to stay with it. Well, sister, you certainly have done that, sister and Victory. Thank you so much for coming on the Gloria Purvis podcast and, you know, talking through a really difficult topic and encouraging people and telling us to really pay attention, open our eyes and be a part of this world in a good way and to pray for people who are suffering and do whatever we can to help those who are being victimized and trafficked. Thank you, sister, so much. You're very welcome. It's a pleasure, Gloria. I'm so glad you're tuning into the Gloria Purvis podcast and joining with me through these important and, well, sometimes challenging conversations. Please share this episode with a friend or family member and be sure to subscribe to the Gloria Purvis podcast on your podcast app. By the way, leave us a review. I would love to hear from you. And you can follow me on Twitter at Gloria underscore Purvis and on Instagram at I am Gloria Purvis. The Gloria Purvis Podcast is a production of America Media. It's produced by Maggie Van Dorn and Sebastian Gomes, and is engineered by Frank Tucson. You can learn more about America Media at americamagazine.org. We'll see you next time. <laughs>